Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Remember her? Huh? Who is it? Who is it? Right? Monica Lewinsky. It has been a long time. She's been on my mind, though. All right? I'll get to why in a moment. Where is she? What is she doing? She lives in New York. She gives speeches about getting bullied. And you know what? I do think she was something of a victim. Uh, and also, well, she made really bad decisions. She was an adult when she, well, did what she did with Bill Clinton in the uh, Oval Office and the rest. Um, she paid a big price for that mistake, right? Uh, but I think of her today because of her lawyer, a guy named Ginsburg, William Ginsburg. He's the guy in the bow tie next to Monica. Now, why am I thinking about him? Well, he was such a crazy media hog. It brings to mind more recent media hogs. But when he did this, he was on all five major talk shows in one day. He made history. They still call it the full Ginsburg. Does it influence you, affect you in any way to know that the fate of the country, the fate of Bill Clinton, is in effect in your hands and in Monica Lewinsky's hands? In addition to the fact that I don't believe that the government of the United States is in Monica Lewinsky's hands or in my hands, Short of that, you betcha it scares me. It scares me that my country could be in this kind of a crisis. I'm not political, but I am a citizen of this country, and I do respect the presidency. All right. Seems like a very dignified thing to say, but he wasn't dignified. He was going on every single show. In one day, face the nation, meet the press, this week, late edition, Sunday Fox News. Um, nobody had ever seen a thing like that, and it was universally panned. This guy's a ham, and he's jeopardizing his client. Uh, major experts at the time, legal experts and others, said that this was dangerously flawed. Uh, they went on to say that, uh, Mr. Ginsburg, I have to tell you, I cannot figure out what the strategy is, says uh, Bill Taylor, one of Washington's leading white-collar criminal defense attorneys. Next, please. Uh, in the first place, negotiations between the defense lawyer and the prosecutor are always best conducted privately. Makes sense. Uh, the opportunity for misunderstanding based on comments to the media is very high. Also makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And I can't see the benefit to his client. I think it is an unconventional approach to negotiating in a case of this importance. That all makes total sense to me. Yet the full Ginsburg going on all the talk shows, 
They love to do it now, even people with big, sensitive jobs who really shouldn't be saying all that much in public, like the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. Yesterday, he was out in force, and he doesn't have to be. You know, they have a podium at the White House. He could go out there, and everybody would listen to him and write down, but no, instead, he insisted on going four on four of the top five talk shows. Meet the press. There he is on uh, what's that show? Oh, yeah. This week with sometimes George Stephanopoulos, sometimes John Carl. And it goes on like this. Face the nation. There he is on the big TV and State of the Union on CNN. Uh, And what was he saying on these shows? Well, next to nothing, really. We have reason to believe one of those Americans will be released today. But until we actually see her safe and sound out of Gaza, we cannot have 100 percent certainty that it will happen. We have not gotten proof of life on any of them, and we do not know for certain that all three of them are still alive. That being said, we do believe, we are hopeful uh, that there will be additional Americans released. Uh, He's always, you know, look, it's a sensitive issue, so he can't say too much. But why say anything at all? It's in his interests, not in our interests, okay? Now, number one, he knows he's not going to get any tough questions on any of these shows. They never ask him about what happened in Afghanistan, and that is on him. He was one of the key decision makers. Can you imagine that? One of the biggest mistakes in American history, and he gets off scot-free. What about our border, our southern border? Never comes up. It's like they have an understanding. That's part of our national security. I would say these unvetted individuals are a threat to our national security. What about uh, anti-Semitism? You know, I kept hearing about white supremacy and what a threat that was to national security. What about anti-Semitism? I think it's right up there. Anyway, this is a commercial for him and his interest. That's what it's all about. We are pleased, by the way, to see that the hostages are released. Some of them, that little girl... Think about it for a moment. What does it say about the barbarians of Hamas, right? That they would take small children as hostages to begin with. It is totally inconceivable, but it's actually happening. And the idea that Americans, some Americans are rooting for the terrorists is disgusting. Then again, we are getting all kinds of mixed messages from Joe Biden who refuses to take on anti-Semitism in any serious way and seems, well, once again, trying to claim credit that doesn't belong to him. Let me back up. I cannot prove what I'm about to say. But I believe one of the reasons why Hamas struck when they did was they knew that I was working very closely with the Saudis and others in the region to bring peace to the region by having recognition of Israel and Israel's right to exist. Well, he can't prove it because it's false. He had nothing to do with that. That was a Trump administration accomplishment, the Abraham Accords. However, they did invade Hamas, I believe, because of Joe Biden, because of his weakness, his weakness, a signal to the world that you can get away with stuff that you've always wanted to get away with. The invasion of Ukraine, yeah, this terrorist attack, the worst that we've seen against Jews since the Holocaust. Where have we seen, say, Hezbollah, Iran, Islamic fascists get carried away before Jimmy Carter 444 days our hostages in captivity under Jimmy Carter 
Now, the moment they were released was the moment that Ronald Reagan became president. You think that's a coincidence? Ronald Reagan becomes president and the hostages come home. I know all that stuff about the October surprise and the negotiate. Don't worry about that. They were afraid of Reagan and what he might do. They're not afraid of, well, Joe Biden. And they certainly weren't afraid of Jimmy Carter. Remember that guy? As you know, there is a growing disrespect for government and for churches and for schools, the news media and other institutions. This is not a message of happiness or reassurance, but it is the truth and it is a warning. All right. Hmm. Some of that stuff he had a point about. Doesn't matter. He conveyed weakness. We all know it. And the Russians saw it. And you know who was advising him back then, believe it or not? Jim, uh, Jimmy Carter was talking to Joe Biden. Hard to believe, but yeah, Joe Biden was a United States senator back then showing Jimmy Carter the ways of Washington. This does not look like a, a good, healthy conversation, whatever's going on there. All right. If we had Donald Trump in, this wouldn't have happened in the first place. Next. Like his fingernails, they'll, they'll take them out one by one. Why should I go? Why should I go? Tell me why I should go. I'm standing here. I'm an American. I have free, it's a free country. It's not like Egypt. <laughs> did you rape your daughter like Mohammed did? Hmm? Did you rape your daughter like Mohammed? I speak English. You only speak English? No, no English. No. You don't speak English? Yes. All right. Well, that's, that's, see, that just shows how ignorant you are. Because your Muhammad was a rapist. It says in the, in the Hadith, in, oh, your, in your holy book. You speak Arabic, the language of the Quran, the holy Quran, that some, some people use as a toilet. <laughs> oh, boy. This guy is asking for trouble, and he got it. Number three, this is Islamophobia, right? You're not supposed to talk like this. It's not nice. It's, uh, it's very hateful. It's wrong. Uh, I don't know enough about Islam, quite frankly, to criticize it. I, it's not my religion, but I don't know enough about it to criticize it. This guy thinks he does. Let's go through who he is and uh, what he did here. His name is uh, Stuart Seldowitz, 64 years old. Now, why this made news well, the Islamic phobic rant, and he was Obama's acting director for the National Security Council South Asia Directorate. Okay, that may sound important, but I think he worked in the basement of the basement of the State Department. Whatever. Um, he's been charged. Two counts, two counts, fourth degree hate crime, stalking, one count, second degree aggravated harassment, and they arrested the guy. They locked him up. They perp-walked him. And I actually have a problem with that. I don't like his views at all, but you're allowed to have them. You're allowed, unfortunately, to hate people. I mean, it's unfortunate that people hate people, but I guess to have love, you need to have hate, right? I don't think this is right. The government can't tell us what to think, even if we think bad things, even if that guy thinks bad things and says bad things. We're not always going to be comfortable in this world. If we want to be comfortable, we should all stay in bed. Um, that's wrong. This, in my opinion, is a thought crime. And his vile speech 
is protected speech by the First Amendment. We'll see what happens. Hey, uh, everyone's coming down on this guy. And I get that with the criticism. Meanwhile, anti-Semitism is flourishing all over the place. You've seen the videos. It is getting totally out of hand. Jews are being cornered in libraries. Uh, a teacher here in New York City could not come out of the classroom because the students figured out that he had gone to a pro-Israel rally and they were upset and they were threatening him. They beat up a school safety officer. Uh, Joe Biden, where has he been on this? Remember how vocal he was on white supremacy, the myth, the phantom of white supremacy? Is he saying anything about anti-Semitism? No, he's just moping around Nantucket, pretending to be an ordinary guy. Now, why is he not speaking about anti-Semitism? Because if you look closely, well, a lot of these anti-Semites are his base, right? Those who voted for him, young people, and yeah, I'll say a disproportion of them seem to be, well, persons of color. Right, after, right out of the BLM kind of uh, handbook, right? Those young college kids, often persons of color. Um, there are a lot of persons of color, obviously, a lot of white people who are not anti-Semite, right? But <laughs> this, is a, this is a thing, right? He does not want to antagonize, say, AOC, Rashid Tlaib, because those people support them and support Palestine and support Hamas. You can support Palestine, you can't support the terrorists. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, to throw, a, well, a strange one into the mix, John and Cindy McCain. John McCain, of course, uh, dead. Uh, Cindy McCain is alive and well and totally misemployed. You know she's the, um, the director of the World Food Program? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm surprised as anybody. Take a look. We turn now to the executive director of the World Food Program, Cindy McCain, also part of the United Nations. Wow. World Food Program. Well, how did she get such a high profile gig when her experience is in beer distributorship? That's right. Her family, they're big in beer. And that's how she made her money. And that's how she, well, funneled money to McCain. McCain could not have gotten elected to Congress had he not been married to her. Um, all right. So what is she doing there? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, the, the bottom line here is that we need to get more aid in, as, uh, as has been said. Uh, we are looking at uh, possible, possibly being on the brink of famine in this region. Uh, this is something that's not only terrific, but it will spread. And, and with that comes disease and, and everything else that you can't imagine. All right, blah, 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 blah. I want everybody to have enough food. I just am totally puzzled that she's running that suspect organization. They've had a lot of problems, right? Um, why is she there? Why is she in the public eye? Why? She endorsed Joe Biden, huh? How about that John McCain? Does it say something about John McCain? May he rest in peace that Cindy endorsed Joe Biden and now gets these uh, big jobs. Well, it got me thinking about Cindy McCain. I thought I heard that name somewhere else in some other context, and I did. It hides in plain sight. Epstein was hiding in plain sight. We all knew about him. We all knew what he was doing. But we had no one that was, no um, uh, legal aspect that would go after him. They were afraid of him. For whatever reason, they were afraid of him. Wow. I did not know about Epstein Island. I did not, I knew he was a convicted sex offender. A lot of people blew that off. But she knew about, that's wrong. That is wrong. <laughs> And why didn't she do anything about it? But there she is getting TV time.
just like Jake Sullivan, making the rounds, not saying much of anything, but incurring some risk. Hostage negotiations are going on. You could say the wrong thing. He takes that risk and he goes on television. Why? To promote his own brand. Because just like before Joe Biden became president and after, Jake is going to be in business along with Tony. These two are some of the richest guys in Washington. And they exploit the world situation through a private company that Tony Blinken founded. It's called West Exec. You can look it up. A special company with special clients and all kinds of special money. I wonder if it was worth it. It certainly wasn't for us. When we come back, Carrie Lake. Well, there's Carrie Lake, possibly one of the most gifted natural politicians I've ever seen. Uh, politician, she may not like that word, but look, she's really, really good at it. And uh, all right, she is not governor of Arizona. And a lot of us are really upset with that. However, I think she's going to be the next U.S. senator from Arizona. She is running. The campaign is underway. She was recently at the border with a group of uh, moms. Uh, they call it the Mama Bear Border Tour. Uh, very, very important visit. And as usual, the fake news was there trying to trip her up. Uh, but they are the ones who wound up tripping all over themselves. Take a look. You covered Arizona for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. It's always been a problem. But when was it most secure, Dennis? Um, I don't know. Um, you do know. I, I don't. It was most secure under President Trump. It was. More, that's a fact. Okay. Fewest people crossed. You didn't give him credit for that. Fewest people crossed. Fewest illegal crossings. We had the uh, lowest amount of apprehensions of, of drugs coming mm -hmm. across. Those are facts, and it was never covered because the media spent eight years doing character assassination of President Trump. He seems a little uh, uncomfortable and uh, a little <laughs> bit uh, discombobulated. You, on the other hand, not at all those things. Welcome back, Carrie Lake. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, it was good to be down at the border with the people who are affected by these terrible policies. We, we brought our mama bear club, our moms for Carrie down there. Because when we meet Greg, um, just like every other American talking about what's happening at the border, it's affecting our families. It's affecting our safety in our communities. We're sick of watching thousands, tens of thousands pour across every week. And, and we're sick, frankly, of Arizona being the fentanyl drop spot where all of this deadly poison is coming in and killing a young generation, including some of the women behind me who've lost loved ones to fentanyl poisoning. And we're just, you know, moms get stuff done. We do our to-do list. We get the kids packed up for school. We check their homework. We get a lot done. And we're wondering why the federal government isn't doing more. I think it's because they like this problem. I really do. Yeah, they want this problem. They want the voters. Uh, they want to portray them as voting one way. Maybe the globalists want the cheap labor. Could you compare and contrast for me Texas versus Arizona? The problems, how are they different? They're both acute, but how do they differ? Well, there, we're both faced, being inundated right now with people pouring across illegally. I mean, Texas has its own issues, and, and they've got the, the river that people have to cross. 
Um, their governor's doing a little bit more right now. Thankfully, Governor Abbott is getting much more serious about it. But here in Arizona, it is truly the worst in the entire nation. Border Patrol in the Tucson sector encountered 58,000 migrants in 28 days. They're being overrun. They've been asked to abandon patrols and checkpoints to prioritize the processing and caring of these illegal immigrants. And they've actually had to call people in from the Douglas station for backup because their detention facilities are now housing here in Arizona, 22% of all the illegal immigrants nationwide. And so these border communities are struggling. They're running out of room. They're running out of resources. And Arizonans are just saying, what's it going to take to secure the border? What's it going to take to invest in our safety? And my answer is vote these bums out of office. Vote Gallego out, vote Cinema out, and replace them with someone who actually cares. And, and definitely vote Joe Biden out. You know, I, I, honestly, this is not a partisan issue. When fentanyl kills you, it doesn't ask your voting history before you're poisoned. And the cartels don't ask what your policy stances are before they send violence into your neighborhood. So uh, that's why I was really proud when the Democrat mayor, Jorge Maldonado, joined me at that press conference. He said, something's got to give. This cannot continue along. There's no more room at the inn, as they say. And we, we need to stop this nonsense at the border and start putting Arizona families first and American families first. I love it. I didn't know that. A Democrat on your team there, at least on this issue. Uh, we need more of that. It's a common sense thing, just like you say. Hey, do me a favor. Take a look at this. It's you and Donald Trump. This is the, I only saw this today for the first time. You interviewed him. When I first saw it, I thought it was 2016. I think we have a still of this. And it turns out, yeah, it's 2020. You're a reporter slash anchor at the time. And it's just amazing. So in about less than two years, you went from being a reporter to being potentially, well, you've been talked about as a vice presidential running mate for him. <laughs> It's just incredible how things can play out. Uh, you care to comment on that? I just think it's totally, wow. it's great and it's totally American. I love it. And what are your thoughts? It's, it's really amazing that you showed that. I hadn't realized the date because it was about a year later that I decided to walk away from my job, my amazing um, dream career, because I realized that the media had just become propaganda and I didn't want to take part in it. And then a year later, um, I am in the middle of an incredible campaign for governor. And not only you know, had I interviewed President Trump, that was an exclusive interview he gave me, and I met him for the first time. Now I'm friends with him. I mean, I pick up the phone and I call him and, and we talk and I respect him so much and can't wait to get him back in office for my family and the rest of America so that he can help turn this nightmare around. All I will say is that when you turn your life over to God fully, 100%, all of the plans that he has for you are so much more fantastical and amazing than anything you could imagine in your wildest dreams. And I'm proof of it. What an amazing statement. So true. Uh, we have a little snippet from that interview. You asked him a series of very substantive questions, uh, but I was most intrigued by the question at the end. I don't know if you remember, but listen to this. And when you, when you come into a crowd like this, what does that feel like to step on that stage? Well, when you see an arena like this, that's a big arena and it's packed and you have thousands of people outside trying to get in. We have movie screens up. Uh, I don't know. It's a great feeling. To me, it's a great feeling. They're here. Part of my family's here and they're out there and they're cheering us on. 
I just love it. I mean, how does it feel? It feels great. <laughs> I, I love the question. I love the answer. It might seem obvious, but I'm so glad you asked it. And uh, anyway, well done. And amazingly, I've been at several rallies with President Trump and had the opportunity to speak in front of a crowd that, of course, the crowd he brings in. And he's right. It does feel amazing. It's absolute love is all I can say. The love that you feel at a Trump rally, it's, it's we the people rooting for fighters who are going to help protect them and um, put our country first. And it's, it's absolutely an amazing feeling. All right. Awesome. Well, listen, good luck in Arizona. It's a mess in so many ways. Great state, but the political system and a lot of other things, uh, we want you to uh, master it. You can it. say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I live there, by the way, in Yuma. Great place. I love it. Uh, Carrie Lake, good luck. Stay in touch, and we'll be right back. Greta Van Susteren is back. She's on Newsmax, giving you the really big stories without the spin. Watch The Record with Greta Van Susteren. She's smart, tough, and always fair. Don't miss Greta's new show. Hey guys, it's Carson. Imagine this. It's the dead of night. You're lying in bed. Suddenly you hear something go bump. What is your next move? Well, you reach for the ultimate solution. The new MC-14 tip-up pistol from EAA Corp. And Gerson. This game-changing firearm is perfect for those with limited hand strength, disabilities, or anyone seeking a comfortable and user-friendly alternative. Picture this. The MC-14T features an ingenious tip-up barrel design, making loading and unloading a breeze. Say goodnight to struggles while racking a slide. Just load the tip-up barrel, lock it back down, and you're ready to fire. The MC-14T is chambered in 380 ACP, boosting a 13-plus-1 round capacity. With its reliable stopping power and compact size, it's an excellent choice for personal defense, complete with accessory rail and ambidextrous safeties. Experience a new level of convenience. Available with all EAA Corp. distributors, starting at an incredibly affordable MSRP of just $498. Don't miss out on this game-changing firearm. Visit EAACorp.com today. That's EAACorp.com. I want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. Today, as we gather with our loved ones, we give thanks to Almighty God for His many blessings, including our families, our friends, our neighbors, and this extraordinary country that we all call home. We also send our deep gratitude to all of the patriots serving our nation in uniform this Thanksgiving. You know what this including is? Including the members of the U.S. Army. This Forces. is so presidential. It's more presidential than Lincoln with the top hat, as somebody once said. Uh, this is, of course, his uh, Thanksgiving wish to all Americans put out on social media. And you know what? <laughs> it is 10 times more presidential than the current president. Look at what Joe Biden mustered for Thanksgiving. You ready? It may move you to tears. <laughs> From mine to yours, happy Thanksgiving, America. Thanks, Joe. And then it was right back to hanging around some billionaire's house. He doesn't even, not even friends with. He's borrowing a billionaire's house in Nantucket. Very strange, um, but that wasn't the only Thanksgiving message from Donald Trump. There was another one, and the media, well, they were horrified as usual. His incendiary and dangerous rhetoric has shown the kind of general election campaign he will run and the values he would bring back to the White House. 
Trump has vowed to use the Justice Department to go after his enemies. He has suggested that former Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley should face the death penalty. And he has said federal prosecutor Jack Smith will end up in a, quote, mental institution by the end of his presidency. And at 2.03 a.m. on Thanksgiving, he issued a long screed on social media calling a New York judge a psycho. Personally, I love it. This stuff needs to be said. Now, what John Carl and the fake news are doing, they're fear-mongering, and they're taking things out of context and stirring the pot as much as possible, lying to people, trying to make them think that Donald Trump is some sort of animal when he is, well, I believe the greatest president we had just about ever. And uh, let's go through that Thanksgiving message, though, that really got him mad. Happy Thanksgiving to all, including the racist and incompetent Attorney General of New York State, Letitia Peekaboo James. Now, it's true this came out on Thanksgiving, but you saw the traditional message. I think he has to do this because nobody else is doing it for him. Letitia James, she is a racist. She is running a fraudulent case against President Trump. And no one else out there is really making the case. He's got to do it himself, and he does it in a very effective way. And that's what really gets them mad. Next, please. The radical left Trump-hating judge, a psycho, Arthur Engeron, who criminally defrauded the state of New York uh, and me. And the guy is totally weird. I mean, really weird. You're allowed to say these things. Free speech. Crooked Joe Biden, who has weaponized his Department of Injustice against his political opponent. That has happened. And finally, the whole country, where is going? He allowed our country to go to hell. You know, this may not be how a typical politician speaks, but he's not a typical politician. And this is the truth. And no one else is going to make the case for Trump like he makes the case for Trump. You think his you think the Republican Party is going to do it? You think any of these guys? No, they're all hoping that Trump actually gets convicted and sent to jail. Remember that. The next time you see him debate, there's one or two guys I like, one guy I like. Uh, Yeah. All right. Moving on. Derek Chauvin, uh, the officer in the George Floyd case. Did you hear what happened to him in prison over the weekend? He was stabbed, seriously wounded, uh, stabbed by another inmate. And um, he's serving a very long time in jail, 22 and a half years. I believe he was falsely convicted, actually. Knowing what I know now, which I did not know uh, that weekend in the immediate aftermath, and uh, but now I know, in part thanks to this fantastic movie. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis. You can watch it for free. It's about the George Floyd case and all of the lies we were told about the entire episode. And real people are paying a real price for lies that were told to benefit Democrats. Um, now, one thing, you know that disturbing scene Chauvin with his knee on the neck it actually wasn't on the neck you would agree chief that from the perspective of Miss Frazier's camera it appears that officer Chauvin's knee is on the neck of Mr. Floyd yes Would you agree that from the perspective of Officer King's body camera, it appears that Officer Chauvin's knee was more on Mr. Floyd's shoulder blade? Um, yes. I have no further questions. 
He didn't want to say that, but the photographic evidence was right there. The knee wasn't on the neck. It was on the shoulder, which is an authorized move. They teach it at the police academy there in Minneapolis. At least they they did. And then there's this uh, section of the film about the third precinct. Remember, they, the cops evacuated, but they were ordered to evacuate. A lot of the police officers did not want to leave. Uh, the criminals rioted, burned the place almost to the ground. Watch this portion, please. And we run. We run with our belts on and 50-some people and three SWAT teams, and we get to the fence. We can't get out. We got to go. We're sitting just here. There was only one way in and one way out, and the way out was locked. 283, they've reached the northwest corner of the fence. Northwest corner of the front has been reached. They're coming in, they're coming in the back. We need to move, we need to move. Need to move now. One of the squads rams through the fence to get it open. I remember looking through the rearview mirror as we left. It looked like a zombie movie. They all just rushed to the fence and started climbing the fence, and they caused the fences to collapse, and then they just all rushed the precinct. And as we were driving down the line, Every window got broken out of the squad car, driving the gauntlet down snowing. Can you even believe this is happening in that moment? Never seen anything like it. And I had been involved in a lot of riots. Remember what they told us? Mostly peaceful protests. This man had never seen anything like it. Why don't we know his name? Why doesn't he have a a book deal, huh? What about those January 6th cops, right? Each one, three of the four right there have written books, speaking engagements, that kind of thing. Uh, their household names, the cops in Minneapolis, totally forgotten. That third precinct, what happened there, that story hasn't been told. You got to go to this movie. Look at it. Look at what happened to it. Uh, they couldn't fix this place. They couldn't bring it back. They actually tore it down. So what looks worse, huh? Take a look. The Capitol, the day after January 6th, it was totally fine. Back in business in a couple of hours. That third precinct, it no longer exists. We'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. We're so glad these hostages are being released. Uh, finally, they never should have been taken. It calls to mind for me the Iranian hostage crisis. 444 days are guys kept by, well, folks who have the same kind of uh, temperament as Hamas. Uh, pretty crazy. And how they were released, the day they were released. I talked about this earlier. Take a look at this media report from uh, 1981. Now, day one. 
Day one of Ronald Reagan's presidency and day one of freedom for 52 Americans. Though thousands of miles apart, these two historic events moved almost on parallel tracks today. The new president had not been in office an hour when the former hostages became free men and women again. And they are well along now on their trip to West Germany and eventually to home. How about that? One hour after Ronald Reagan takes the oath of office. Hey, that was Frank Reynolds, by the way, the ABC newsman. Always liked him. Um, why did that happen? Pretty extraordinary, huh? We want to ask our next guest about it, Jeffrey Lord. He's a columnist uh, for the American Spectator. He was also a uh, former associate political director under Ronald Reagan. Back then, he had a mustache, of course. I think he lost it now. Uh, Jeffrey Lord, welcome back. How are you? I think the mustache was originally designed to make me look older, and I'm not sure I need it anymore. <laughs> hey, uh, well, you got to spend time with the Gipper. Amazing, amazing, uh, envious. So uh, that makes – tell us why they let go of the hostages when Reagan got there. Well, he campaigned, uh, as he had for a long time, on peace through strength. That was his one of his main issues. And he was running against Jimmy Carter – who was seen, not unlike Joe Biden today, by American foreign uh, adversaries as being essentially very weak. And uh, it's interesting that once this hostage crisis got underway, we got to about April. It started in November. We got to about April. And President Carter, on the day of the Wisconsin primary, when he was under challenge by Ted Kennedy, as I recall, uh, sent in a rescue mission, a military rescue mission, to get the hostages. Well, the helicopters crashed in the desert. The whole thing was a disaster. People were killed. The, the sum total for President Carter was it made him look even worse. And this went on and on and on. And it was very interesting. It showed Frank Reynolds there from ABC. There, the ABC program Nightline began because of this situation. Mm. And they got into the habit of saying day one, day two, day three. Well, eventually they built a whole program around it. And it was day whatever. And we finally got, as you as you noted, today, 444. And there was no accident. When Ronald Reagan's hand went up on that Bible, those hostages were released. And he makes his way from the podium after his inaugural address. You know, they have a traditional uh, lunch for the new president with the members of Congress, the leadership, et cetera. While he's in there, he gets slipped a note that says they're now in, in uh, free airspace and they're out of Iran. It was I can't tell you how dramatic it was. And kind of underplayed. I mean, the, the, their release was a big deal, but history doesn't tie it, I think, effectively enough to Ronald Reagan's ascension to the presidency. I mean, one, then the next. Hey, can you address the rumors about, you know, backdoor uh, dealings and that kind of thing, which there have been rumors for a long time. There's also rumors that Carter might want to delay the release until just before the election. Uh, what do you make of both of those scenarios? To totally untrue. I, if there was anybody who was the epitome of patriotism, it was Ronald Reagan. Not for a second would he undercut a sitting president who's trying to get the release of American hostages. He just he just wouldn't do it. The thought would never occur to him. Frankly, I think if anybody had seriously suggested to him, they would have been out the door post haste. So I really don't think that, that uh, that's the case. And, and, and what's your second question? Why isn't it? Well, I, I, the other, there's another theory that Jimmy Carter may have uh, wanted the release to happen like in October, i.e. an October surprise. 
and engineer it in such a way that, uh, you know, close to the election, maximum bang for the buck for Jimmy Carter. You know what I mean? There well, was I, I, I'll say this much. I mean, he wanted them released ASAP. I mean, the simple political fact of the matter was the longer these people were held every single day, the worse it looked for Jimmy Carter politically. And so th there would have been no mileage for him to, to, you know, let them stay until a certain date. He wanted them out pronto. I don't have any doubt of that and was unable to accomplish that. Right. I guess. And, and then the other theory as well, the Reagan people were worried that he would get them released Carter in October. But I do believe that's nonsense. Any thoughts on uh, why why Hamas doesn't seem particularly eager to turn over Americans at this moment? You know, it's the same. It's the same thing. Exactly. Do we have peace through strength or are we inviting aggression? And when you have a weak president, as we sadly do at the moment, this invites the invasion of Ukraine and invites the invasion of Israel because they just think that the president is too weak and is not going to effectively respond. Uh, I mean, we learned this lesson with Neville Chamberlain back before, long before you or I were on this planet in the 1930s uh, in Great Britain when he tried to appease Adolf Hitler and to his shock found out it didn't work. Uh, this, this is a problem that we have here and we're going to continue to have it. You know, one of the things that President Reagan did that I don't think people understood well at the time in August of 1981, the air traffic controllers, federal employees, threatened oh, yeah. to go out on strike, which was against the law. Reagan said, if you strike, I will fire you. And that was sort of poo-pooed in Washington wisdom yeah. because oh, they were so invaluable. And he fired them. He fired them. <laughs> and what we later learned was the Soviet Union took note and realized, uh-oh, he means business. <laughs> and that changed the way of dealing with the Soviet Union. Well, we have a real amateur in the White House right now, in addition to all of his other shortcomings. And for a guy who's been there for 50 years, he's not good at this stuff at all. No. And, uh, and seriously. Dangerous. Yes. Jeffrey Lord, we appreciate it very much. Go to at real Jeffrey Lord or the Jeffrey Lord dot com. The Jeffrey Lord. The Jeffrey Lord. Just one. <laughs> Be right back. Thank you. Thank you. I have six grandchildren, and I'm crazy about them. And I speak to them every single day. Not a joke. Uh, but it is a lie. It was a lie. He had seven grandkids, and he was well aware of that at that point. You know the story by now. Navy, that little girl denied by Hunter Biden, denied by the Biden family. Yeah, they turned their back on that little girl. Hunter didn't take responsibility. Joe didn't take responsibility. They had to drag Hunter to court. Finally acknowledged, yeah, Hunter Biden appears in the paternity case. The kid is his, no doubt about it. But... They still fought it, didn't want to pay the child support, didn't want to pay as much as uh, the girl needed. In 2021, it was observed that how many stockings were at the Biden White House? Six for the six grandkids. But pressure started to mount on, well, on Joe. Hey, you can't do this. Op-ed started popping up even in friendly publications like uh, like the New York Times. It's seven grandkids, Mr. President. So with that kind of public pressure coming from the left, Joe ultimately acknowledged, yeah, I have that grandkid. And, uh, well, we won't talk about this again. You would think that that grandkid would get a stocking. 
Apparently, as a result, none of the grandkids are getting a stocking. <laughs> there are now zero on the mantle. This is the new picture of the White House uh, Christmas situation. Um, Joe is uh, really, really not a good guy. Sorry. When he was asked about this grandkid, look at how he turns it on the reporter. This is like the most classless, horrible thing a human being can do. Deny a child that you know is yours or a grandchild. Look at what Joe said and how he said it. I'm wondering if you have a comment on this report and court filing out of Arkansas that your son Hunter just made you a grandfather. No, that's a private matter. I have no comment. But only you would ask that. You're a good man. You're a good man. Thank you guys. This is all the time we have. You see that look? That was not a smile. That was showing his fangs. He sarcastically says to the reporter, oh, yeah, you do that. You're a classy guy. Um, he's the guy who lacks class. It's amazing. The president of the United States is not a decent person. He had to be begged, cajoled, yelled at by his friends in the media to acknowledge that poor grandkid. And he still has an attitude about it. Uh, pray for his soul. And I'll be right back. Thanksgiving, me with my two little girls, Annalise and Madeline, and I am smiling like crazy because I'm genuinely thrilled. We did it at a restaurant. I had to park the car, so I was a little bit late. And when they came running toward me like uh, you've never seen, well, maybe you have seen, and it was wonderful. So I was genuinely that thrilled. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back tomorrow night.